Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 182 of the Fun with Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the British Grand Prix in Silverstone, England. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And it's always lovely to have a Grand Prix from the uh, sunny slash rainy hills of Northamptonshire and uh, have, have a, you know, we had a cracking race today, I would say. I think cracking is the word for it. Cracking uh, indeed. And uh, as Michiganders, Jim and I, more than most, uh, sympathize, commiserate, and defend uh, English weather because Michigan weather is quite similar and I myself like it. Don't like the weather in Silverstone? Wait five minutes and it'll change. Dun, dun. Like they always say. Uh, no, so it was, uh, you know, this is one of those, one of the classic races, uh, of course. Uh, and, you know, it's always fun in this, this middle of summer when you've got, uh, you know, you go from Monaco to Canada and you've got England. It's like there's all kinds of good stuff. Obviously, Austria in there as well, but um, not so much of a classic yet. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm... A, really excited about England. B, really excited about fish and chips. So maybe short show and we just go get some uh, fish and chips. Well, yeah. And if you want, we can add some beef gravy and cheese curds to those chips and just really just oh, get a little, a, a little double down. Flair. Yeah. Mm. And then sit <laughs> for many hours afterwards because that's, that's not great motion food. It's not. It really isn't. Anyway, let's start with some follow-up. And we've got lovely feedback I want to start with Paul Peard, who sent us a note saying, Hi guys, as usual, great episode and good to hear from Jamie again. Paul, we agree. I would agree on Lamar being on every motorsports fan's bucket list. The racing hasn't been as exciting as it is now, but the experience remains memorable. This current crop of hybrids and their various interpretations of the specs is really good to see. From Jamie's description of where his RV was parked, I think I was parked within 50 feet of him. Given we given we parked on the Bugatti circuit, complete with batteries, runoff, and gravel traps, there are some there was some evidence of people doing the dumbest things. The guy in the minivan trying to take a shortcut to get out of the parking area across on one of the gravel traps was good to watch, along with the expression on the faces of the recovery truck crew who had to winch him out. Looking forward to the next F one race and the follow up show from you guys. Here it is. Keep up what you, keep doing what you do, Paul. God, I, I I don't know if I should keep doing what I do exactly. <laughs> well, so Paul apparently also could smell the uh, you know the, the burning meat of a thousand campfires or whatever the uh, the phrase was from from Jamie. But uh, that's great, you know, to have uh, some some crossover like that. Absolutely, and, uh, you know, it uh, reinforces my desire to go to Le Mans. As well. So I've been to Silverstone, you know, I've done that, uh, that particular bucket list. And when I was there, it was like 80 degrees and sunny the whole week. That's 80 F not C. That would be terrible. But, uh, it was lovely weather all week and I actually got a sunburn in England of all places. Um, so I have experienced that, but have not done France for Le Mans. So, uh, I would love to, uh, would love to check that out and, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, hang out with Paul and Jamie and have some, some smoked meat of some sort. Well, I, I agree completely. I definitely am a huge fan of France and, a huge, huge fan of just the concept of the 24 Hours of Le Mans, as well as the direction that the World Endurance Championship has gone as of late. The hybrid power and speed capability. Uh, let's not forget that uh, this Le Mans was the this was a year where the fastest lap, race lap broke the very long-standing record held by Porsche in their 917s of a three-minute, 18-second lap, give or take. Hmm. He's now been surpassed by an Audi, uh, three minutes, 17 seconds. And this lap record includes the chicanes, 
in on the Molson Straits. So that's saying something. That is saying lots of things. So despite the slowdowns on the track, the new cars are faster and the new cars are faster using less fuel because they also make use of hybrid power. So it is very fascinating to see the diversity of the cars is huge and the depth of talent is obviously uh, as full as you can get. So really, engineering and driving. Exactly right. So it is a wonderful, wonderful event. Alas, we are a primarily Formula One podcast, and our next bit of follow-up goes back to Formula One, which we quite enjoy. It is from Cameron McGrath, and he says, Hi, guys. Hi, guys. <laughs> Great podcast as always. Regarding your question of whether Rosberg's Monaco victory would taint Rosberg Potentials Championship win, it certainly wouldn't be fair to, for people to think that way. Bad luck or strategy can strike at any time, and let's face it, Nico can't be blamed for Hamilton's race result. He had to do good enough on the day to capitalize on the opportunity, and when all is said and done, regardless of whether or not it was the right call, Hamilton had eight laps to make his strategy work on a brand new set of option tires and couldn't manage it. Fair play to Nico, to which I completely, 100% agree, Cameron. I think that was well said. As for the Alonso Raikkonen crash in Spielberg, Kimi said post-race, I got some wheel spin and suddenly I went left. So it was surprising, really. I don't know why it turned so aggressively left. It, in a way, it was a pretty odd place. Sometimes you get things like that out, uh, out of the corner. But it, was, but it was quite away from the exit. It would have been a pretty shit weekend overall. It has been a pretty shit weekend overall. Nothing else to say. I, you know, I, it's interesting. Kimi was basically, uh, enforcing what I was saying. It's like, God, that seemed, he wasn't coming out of the corner where he had lots of, uh, wheel lock in. It was pretty much the end of the exit where things were mostly straight when the car, uh, violently spun. So that's, that's an interesting point. And, uh, pretty shit weekend from overall. That definitely sounds like Raikkonen. Uh, Cameron goes on to say, Martin Brundle also noted that Raikkonen looked to be in third gear when it let go, which he thought was very unusual. During the coverage, they also mentioned that the camera was either not working or simply not recording on some of the cars behind the incident, which is why we didn't get any better footage. I guess it's not impossible, but it does seem unlikely. Like a conspiracy. What have I been saying this whole time? (laughs) Regarding the race weekend itself... Rosberg was imperious despite the Q3 mishap. He had Hamilton's measure throughout the weekend, and were it not for the, his Q3 era, I believe it would have been he would have been on pole. We all know that Hamilton is a fighter, and given his constant querying about is it possible to catch Nico in the dying laps of the Spanish GP, I think it was quite telling that he did not put up more of a fight in Austria. That lack of desperation showed above all else that he knew he could not match Rosberg's pace around the Red Bull ring. Anyway, on Britain, where I wouldn't be surprised to see a Hamilton, Hamilton result. Hmm. Keep up the great work. Cheers, Cam McGrath. Cheers to you, sir. Thank you for the long and well-thought note covering various topics. And uh, we actually, we already got an email for the British Grand Prix. But let's get to that one later. Let's talk about the British Grand Prix ourselves. However, um, we did get uh, a couple more pieces of feedback. Two emails from one person. And her name is Elena. And she writes, 
<laughs> I, you can't see this, but Jim is rolling his eyes already, which is unfair because she says, hello, feedback. <laughs> you look amazing. <laughs> Let me introduce myself. I am Oga from Russia, and I'm looking for a caring and self-confident man for a normal communication and serious relationship. Every sentence ends in an exclamation point, by the way. I suppose that you have these qualities. Can we, can we, can we just... <laughs> I got two emails from Olga. Two. Was this it is... Olga or Elena? See, you know... No, it, the, the subject yes, line... Yes, I know, I guess. I... <laughs> so, uh... we had several folks tweeting along with us live this morning. And no, by, but what by about Olga? No, but she's not a thing. Uh... Um, so, uh, we were not really live. We started uh, a little bit behind. It didn't quite get caught up because, you know, sometimes if there's a really, you know, boring section of the race or there's a long uh, red flag or something like that, we can get caught up to live if we start a little bit late. But this was an exciting race to watch. Uh, but thank you, uh, as always, for uh, Ziggy tweeting along there, uh, Geek Girl F1, Ben Azuma, um, and uh, Bernard A, Bernie A, was uh, was involved there as well. Uh, we were not really taking part in hashtag FWCars today, but we appreciate those that were and on other races that uh, where we can do so, we uh, we like to tweet along and uh, and have fun with that. So uh, thanks for those people taking part in that. And uh, if you haven't um, done so, then you know you can always just fire up your Twitter client of choice and uh, and tweet along. Also, a uh, quick mention from uh, John Drew. Um, more excitement in the first five laps of British GP than entire F1 season this year. Hashtag lol. <laughs> Which, you know, yeah, I think so. It was uh, it was exciting first, but, you know, start to the race. Obviously, uh, the Williams seemed to, I don't know if they temporarily engaged four-wheel drive on their car or exactly what happened, but it was just this rocket start. I mean, finally, both Felipe and Valeteri Botas, they uh, channeled their inner Claire. And uh, made it happen. And I was couldn't be happier with the start of that race. Yeah, well, it was, you know, wild because it looked like uh, Mercedes starts were okay. You know, and as I said, it was just low grip. It wasn't like there was a stall. There was nothing wasn't specifically weird. wrong with them. Right. Um, however, um, the thing that was wrong is that, you know, the Williams were one and two. That was incredible. Right. Uh, and then, you know, it was... Oh, we, you know, then it was Massa out front, you know, it has to be said. Um, and um, it seemed like, okay, yeah, this this might last a few corners and then Hamilton will probably find his way around. But no, I mean, they were legitimately holding off the Mercedes. They last, it lasted 18 laps, in fact. Right. And, and part of that, of course, was a safety car, um, you know. True enough. The- Fair enough. But uh, it's a perfect, seeing the start of the race, it shows you um, how fantastic the Williams were off the line. But let's also take a moment and look at the qualifying results. This was the top three teams um, taking uh, very evenly the top six positions on the grid. Lewis Hamilton on pole, Nico Rosberg in second for Mercedes. Felipe Massa ahead of Valtteri Botas for Williams. Both Williams ahead of both Ferraris. Kimi Raikkonen ahead of Spash and Vettel for Ferrari. So Raikkonen out-qualified Vettel, which I was hoping would just, the race result doesn't support this, but help calm down the talks a little bit of, oh, Raikkonen's getting too old, this is getting ridiculous. Um, And then we go down. It was mixed between uh, Red Bull and Toro Rosso, Daniel Kofiat in seventh, Carlos Sainz in eighth, and then Nico Hulkenberg getting one of the Force Indias, the B-spec car, you can call it, to Q3 uh, in ninth, and Daniel Ricciardo taking the last position in 10th. And Dan uh, Daniel Ricciardo was a bit upset. He didn't feel that he put all four wheels off in qualifying, which killed his fastest time, which would have put him P7, he claims. Um, 
I think video evidence is what it is. And yeah, it's fairly that, black and white. It's got to be tough inside the car when, you know, you can't probably see the wheels. Maybe you see the top of the front wheels a tiny bit. But, you know, you think you know where the car is. And obviously these guys are really good drivers. They probably do generally know where the car is. But uh, it's pretty hard to refute when there's video evidence. Uh, <laughs> like, here's a camera and here's your car and here's a line. And then, you know, it is what it is. So uh, it's probably, you know, frustration with himself slash the whole situation. I mean, obviously, uh, things at Red Bull are... Uh, in, in turmoil at the moment. And, uh, you know, the current, of course, the current rumor is that uh, Aston Martin may be yes. tying up with Mercedes for powertrains, and then that, that could be the new Red Bull. Well, no, 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 no. That part's not a rumor. Well, right. Well, we know about Mercedes Red. Well, Aston Martin Aston, Aston Martin right. road cars are going to start using Mercedes, Mercedes-Benz AMG engines right. in some of their products. And then part of the, the, the tie-up, the rumor is that Aston Martin, you know, will take Mercedes race engines and, you know, build a new Formula One team to... Um, uh, or you know, tie up with a Formula One team right. to promote that whole arrangement and right. their new cars and their whole thing. Essentially, Aston Martin would take the place of Infinity on the side of the car, and in doing so, that partnership would also include Mercedes engines as opposed to Renault's. Right, and Renault is tied to Nissan, which owns Infinity. So that's how that all works. Um, and a quick follow up to that: Mercedes Benz owns. Excuse me, five percent of Aston Martin. That's part of that tie-up. So it's a it's a real kind of bizarre and complicated uh, business mashup of things to make it go round. But it's just it just shows how frustrated Red Bull is with Renault on so many deep levels that they're looking for these deep marketing partnerships to get themselves out of their current deep marketing car- partnerships. Well, I mean, it's not like the problem right now is that the, you know, the engine name on the side of the car is different from the actual engine. I mean, it's like, you know, they, they were fine when they were winning championships. The, the deep marketing was one thing. But just the fact that the results haven't haven't borne out that for whatever reason, the Renaults have been down on power and the, you know, Red Bull car just hasn't seemed to be able to make the best of what it has for the power that it's got. Again, all we just have to go to the qualifying results. We had one Red Bull uh, in Q3. Well, I'm sorry. One Red Bull in seventh. One Toroso in eighth, so that's not just that's not just powertrain. You know, if your Toroso is competing with you very closely, right? Despite the differences in budgets, you know, there, there's an issue there, right? But Aston Martin does seem like a, a you know a good brand fit for Formula One, being you know sort of premium and English, and uh, you know there's obviously there's a racing heritage there um, to to capitalize on where Infinity doesn't really have that. Um, not that it's, you know, doesn't work. Obviously, you know, the, this, these, all these, you know, big corporations and the money changes hands and things happen in marketing, but, um, you know, for Aston Martin, of, 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 you know, of all the teams to drive for and sort of have that, uh, on your racing resume or just kind of have that and talk about the company car not being so bad, uh, you know, Hey, an Aston Martin F1 car, um, whether that's, yeah. And, you know, with the Red Bull sponsorship or if it's, if it becomes an Aston Martin works team, such as it is, you know, I don't, who knows how they, uh, exact things may pan out. But hopefully that's the kind of thing that Ricardo will look at and say, hey, you know, there's there's potential here. This is not just wallowing around with no no end in sight. At least, you know, this is all rumors from the outside, but presumably, uh, you know, in, you know, the high up people at the team and maybe Daniel Ricardo himself may know a thing or two about what may be happening in the next sort of, you know, they talk about even as early as next year because they're not talking about developing really a new car. It's like, hey, we'll take Mercedes powertrains, which obviously work really, really well, uh, and a Red Bull car, which, you know, is what it is and can be developed and so on. Uh, so it's not like it's not like a McLaren Honda thing where they're starting from a clean sheet of paper and need to, uh, need to do that. Uh, it's, you know, so it, it could actually happen in 2016, um, but certainly, you know, maybe by 2017, 18, whatever, they could have a, a, a proper program together. So hopefully, even despite, you know, having another uh, weekend to forget as far as uh, Renault and Red Bull are concerned, um, you know, there could be some hope for, you know, Ricardo and the squad there and Captain Smiley can uh, return to his smiley ways. 
Indeed, indeed. And we had, uh, in addition to uh, a wonderful qualifying, we had the great race start that we just started talking about. And what was happening in the very front of the pack where we saw Mercedes take off uh, with Williams in front of the factory team, we also had quite a bit of schmozzling happening in the back. We had teammates running into teammates whose fault it was. That's a bit debatable, but... Right, well, so Felipe Nasser, Nasser didn't even start um, in the cellar. They, obviously, we had, yeah, uh, the Lotus guys... That's getting... a quick point to make, is we had 22, 20 cars start, 13 finish. Yeah, uh, so, well, 19 cars start and 13 finish. Well, okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, so so it was the result of the... Uh, so it was the Lotus guys got into each other and started, you know, skating off track. Alonso behind them, trying to avoid them, ended up nosing into uh, Jensen Button's car, which uh, was not a terminal failure for Alonso. He just needed a new nose, which took a while, but he was able to carry on. But, of course, it ended Jensen's race after, like, three corners, which is just continues his terrible run of, of just of finishes at the British Grand Prix. Like even when he's in the, you know, championship winning car and all that, when he had the ridiculous run in the Braun GP and all that, I think it was sixth that year or something, still never been on the podium. And it's just like, it's just kind of this comedy of errors. I mean, if Jensen wasn't such a, like a laid back and cool guy that it's just to sort of be like, yeah, you know, this, this sucks. And, you know, we're doing this interview with him and he sees his car going by and he's just kind of like, oh man, there it is. Yeah, like, I, here's my his, broken car. His car going by on a flatbed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And uh, just to say, yeah, you know, this is how it ends. And this is like, you know, we knew it was going to be tough, but, you know, geez, uh, just, you know, he knows it's like, it's not like, you know, not the whole lot Alonzo could have done. It's just kind of whatever happened, happened in the spin and he's trying to avoid something. And it's just kind of like, well, that sucks. It's part of the challenge of being that far back in the, in the field, especially on the opening lap. That's just the kind of thing that is so much more likely to happen. But that was what was weird in, in Jensen's speech, uh, uh, interview with Will Buxton it was almost like he was defending himself a little bit. He's like, I was trying to stay out of Alonzo's way, and I didn't realize he was spinning. Like, he was almost saying, don't blame me for this. I didn't know he was spinning. And it's like, uh, but no one's blaming you for this. Yeah. But, he's, you know, he's he's just a nice, uh, he's just a top bloke and uh, wants to uh, wants to make sure he's not offending anyone. Well, he's not. No, I think it's because, uh, you know, those people born in the 80s they just a uh, couple of screws loose you know you got to have that good 70s foundation to really sit on or uh, you know if you were born in the 90s you can uh, slide past the worst of it hmm. yeah but those 80s folks man i tell you so but in front of them it was both uh the lotuses that, that got together and um you know grosjean says ricardo was responsible for that because it was sort of just i mean whatever it's just it's racing it's you know some guy slows down everybody's right close to each other well i thought it was will stevens that Screw, no. screwy in front of Pastor. Wait. No, Will Stevens was behind him the whole time. There, that was that was just looking at the red cars and getting confused. Um, uh, no, the the, mer- the manners were behind there. Uh, but anyway, it's like it's just lots of you know, so lots of carnage on the on the beginning. Um, but then it then it settled down for a while with the Williams out front. Uh, I presume that Claire Williams was really really happy, but we didn't see her on the coverage at all. So I don't know. I don't know exactly how happy she was. We know Susie Wolf was happy. We saw her jumping up and down, getting all excited. I didn't see Claire and Williams. And David Hobbs confusing Susie Wolf for Claire Saying, Williams. Oh, there's a woman in Williams outfit. Oh, that must be Claire Williams. But yeah. Yeah. No. Cluzy. Uh, Cluzy. Susie. Susie Wolf. Uh, Cluzy Wolfiams. Is a. <laughs> is another prominent uh, woman in uh, the Williams team. But Claire is clearly uh, running the show. And her dad, uh, Frank, is still there. And I don't know how. That's actually a really. I genuinely don't know how much day-to-day 
is Claire versus Frank and how much is Frank's role now kind of like strategic consultant almost. And Claire's really running the show. And my guess is, is that every year and every race within the year, Claire is getting closer and closer to just running everything. Right. Well, you know, you kind of hope uh, for, for his age and his position in life that Frank Williams doesn't have to deal with, uh, you know, some of the day-to-day nonsense. You know, when the catering's like, oh, should we serve the chicken or the fish? He's like, you know what? <laughs> Claire, deal with this. All right? <laughs> no, I am on. too damn important. The chicken or the fish. Go oh, examples. No, listen. Uh, I, but think about it. it. was. I think we're going on, I don't know if it was a decade ago. It was years ago that Patrick Head left. Right. Because he was a head of engineering. He was like the brilliant engineer. and Head quite a, of engineering. Yeah. yeah. So he was like, oh, man, these cars are, are – these are tough now. So – and he eventually got out. Got for, computers in him now. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. Patrick Head from South Carolina, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though because I, – because I, I think that too. It's like, well, is he just not hip to the technology? But think about the cars, you know, the FW14B – that had computers in it. Exactly. Active suspension, active traction control, antibody, everything. Yeah, computers were complicated then too, man. Now it's all just all these little, little 90s kids that know how to how to program them. Yeah, exactly. Crazy 90s kids. So anyway, the he's been out for a while and it right. was just Frank and, you know, as like the leader. But then Claire got in and, you know, Claire was there and once she got more of a prominent role, at least in in the eyes of the media where she was being talked about and covered more, that was the beginning of Williams turning it around. Well, I mean, this is Frank Williams playing the long game thinking, you know what? I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a baby, you know, boy or girl is going to grow up. It's going to take over the thing. Then I won't have to worry about the chicken or the fish. I can just think big right. picture. And she's got to be the most beautiful woman in the world. Partially. Be- or, you know, maybe the most, most beautiful man in the world. We don't know. I mean, you know, until, until she was born, it's like, you know, well, okay. All right. Yeah. If we're going there, but I, I'm, I, I think, that she is a wonderful person, full stop. And uh, the fact that she runs a Formula One team just makes her more wonderful. Well, there you go. But anyway, what were we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) No, so Williams is in front. Williams is leading the race. Clearly, Mercedes has the pace to keep up with Williams. They're right behind. But they don't have the pace to pass. And... That's where it gets into controversy, not between not between the teams, but between the teammates. It right. was Botas getting antsy about getting around Massa. Yeah, which looked like he had the opportunity to do uh, and had the pace to do at the beginning anyway. Uh, and that was, of course, when we got the team radio call of, like, hey, don't race the guys. Leave plenty of space. You know, we're going to do this together. And Botas is like, uh, but dude, I'm faster. I have, I've got runs on him. It was showing, like, hey, I'm up alongside. And look, I have to hit the brakes because I'm so much faster. And I have to slow down and waste this energy. Uh, and then it was like, oh, wait, okay, actually, you can pass him. But by then, I think Botas had kind of worn out his tires. So I, I am of the opinion, um, not that you asked, but I'm going to go ahead and share it, that um, <laughs> if at the very beginning Botas were, were uh, allowed to race, uh, and and were not it was not restricted that he would have been able to get around Massa. Of course, he, being the, the rear dude, he's got the uh, advantage of DRS. So it's not just that like oh Bottas is amazing and Massa sucks. Because like well no, there's there's a whole physics to what's going on. Part of that would be DRS, and that it seems like in terms of you know just maximizing their position on track just for themselves and how you know, how much distance they've covered in set amount of time. That if the two guys even if they swap places back and forth every lap or every DRS zone, that that would be the best thing. Basically, take advantage of you know don't ever back off if you don't have to. Except, you know, just to get as much space as they can ahead of the Mercedes guys. You know, just like whoever's got the best pace, 
get going, get moving. I know Masa specifically is very touchy about team orders, and uh, if he were told to slow down, which is understandable, that that would have been the wrong thing. That's quite understandable. But this wasn't this wasn't asking Masa like, "Hey, Masa, back off. We got to let Botas by." It was like just you know. If Botas is that close that he can get right up alongside and then has to back off just to sort of, you know, honor what the team asks for, that it seems like the team may have made a mistake there. I don't want to go on to say that that, you know, clearly he would have won the race and he's oh, he would yeah. be world champion by now. If You know, like there's <laughs> a lot a lot has been made of uh, what would have maybe could have possibly happened. Uh, but um, so, you know, wrong call. It's hard to say. I mean, especially with the way the rest of the race shook out. But um, it, it does seem like that would have been uh, potentially an opportunity. Uh, maybe things could have come out a little bit differently. But either way, it's just like it seems like you want to maximize your own race um, as well as, of course, just, you know, getting as much gap as you can to the people behind you. But that's that's exactly it. And I think, frankly, there's always a gamble in every decision you make because you don't know the future. You don't know how it's going to play out exactly. We know the future because we're in the future. <laughs> but I think William's logic was completely sound. What is more likely to happen if you just let your teammates race each other? Do they speed each other up because of the DRS passing like you mentioned? Or do they slow each other down because they're no longer just trying to optimize their lap? They are now putting themselves in defensive positions or putting themselves in attack positions, which risks locking up tires, which risks um, taking less than ideal lines, which which risks sliding wide. My point is I think it's more likely that the two teammates are lapping slower than it is that they will lap faster because they are racing each other. And that makes it easier for two things to happen, not only for Mercedes to stay right behind or pass, but to also wear out tires faster than need to be worn out. So I think Williams' logic was completely sound. Keep racing keep racing um, in this order. Keep it clean. Keep it fast. And they specifically said this. Stay in order so that we can build a gap to Mercedes. That was the goal. Yeah, you're not thinking fourth dimensionally. And that is, if they let Botas around, <laughs> then he, like, storms off. Because, right, you know, they're basically limiting them to Massa speed. And then Botas is like, well, I can be right behind him and I'll just waste some tires or whatever. Massa out-qualified Botas. Right. Massa is the one that got the lead of the race in the first place, found the gap, and Botas followed him. So right. So, let's not. So, but if Botas gets out in front and just, like, starts dominating the race, then you know he's just going to get hurt away by Ferrari. And then Williams loses a really good driver. And they know, you know, Massa's kind of old and he's not going to last forever. So, Williams is like... Let's keep Masa looking good, and we'll keep Botas in his place so he doesn't just get immediately snapped <laughs> it's up. It's my turn to roll my eyes. Yeah. Listen, that gets into exactly what we heard a lot from the American reporters. It's like, oh, hey, you know, uh, Botas would have been three or four seconds ahead of everyone by now. It's like, No. No, he wouldn't. Just like you said. He would be a Ferrari driver by now. If he had <laughs> been right. going by, they, right. they would have just stopped the... When Raikkonen stopped for Inters, he would have been yeah. like, okay, get Yeah, out. exactly. <laughs> get in the pits. They're like, all right, you, buddy. They just had a wad of Euros or whatever. Right. And just, it would have just, it's all, you know... Which would have ironically slowed down the Ferrari. Uh, the thing about it is exactly that. It, Botas would have gotten in front, let's say. Uh, maybe some tires would have locked up a bit. Maybe it wouldn't have been a big deal. But... Then Felipe Massa has the advantage of DRS, and he's right behind Botas. He's like, well, now I'm faster than Botas. Right. That would have been just as likely as the other outcome of Botas pulling the gap. Second, um, you could also make the argument that maybe Botas has a slightly wider car than Massa, and he's harder for the Mercedes to get around than Massa. I don't know. As likely as anything... Uh, the Mercedes would not have been able to get around either 
Masa or Botas. But the point, to me, the logic, the fundamental logic is sound. Keeping the teammates to not race each other, but just race really cleanly and both maximize for performance is the best statistical uh, game to play because that's the best chance of them pulling ahead of Mercedes. And once, if they pull a bit of a gap, you know, be like, okay, go at it. And in addition to that, it was only a lap or two that went by and Botas is like, hey, I'm right on Massa. Like, okay, just make sure your pass is clean. So Williams only limited Botas for a lap or two. And That's then, when it mattered, though. And, and Botas couldn't pull it off. Well, not once they, they're like, oh, now that you've worn he, out your tires a little bit. Come and, on. You know, Massa's found his groove. It was a lap or two that it was restricted, and he had five or six laps to get it done afterwards. Hey, two laps matters. All right. No, clearly, statistically, the best call to make is to get really, really lucky with weather. And <laughs> as long as, like, strategy is one thing, and that's all well and good. But if you can just get really, really lucky and happen to run out of tires and make the call to go and switch tires right when the weather changes and then you're on the right tires for the right way, for the right weather, um, I think that's probably their best bet. And I think that's, you know, pretty much the strategy that Hamilton employed today to um, end up with, like, with, with great success in, you know, defending his He's lead. He's like, oh, be really lucky. That's what I should do more right. often. Yeah. No, I, but I, I will say that I was surprised that Mercedes didn't pit even sooner than they did. It's like, well, okay, so we're not getting around these guys on track. Let's get our pits done early, give them some clear track to lap faster, and then when Williams goes through their pit stops, we'll be ahead of them. And... They pushed that pretty late. Williams responded relatively quickly, and Hamilton got ahead, but uh, Massa was able to keep Rosberg behind him. Not the whole race, of course, but after the first cycle of pit stops, Massa just barely stayed ahead of Rosberg. So, uh, but getting to a bigger point, and I'm uh, patting myself on my on the back here because I was like, they keep talking about um, uh, whether. Ferrari can catch Mercedes. And I'm like, I'm thinking more, it's more likely that Williams will catch Ferrari. Well, sure enough, next race weekend, just like I mentioned, qualifying, both Williams were ahead of both Ferraris. And then it was Williams, not Ferrari, that was pressuring for on-track pace early on. And then obviously as weather changed and everything turned out, it was in fact a Ferrari behind the Mercedes on the podium. But in but if of, qualifying meant points, then <laughs> in that of, would be a good thing for Williams. In terms of pure pace, uh, Williams was right there. And I'd have to double check, but we had uh, fourth, fifth for Massa and Botas. That's got to be more points than third, yeah. Right. And third and eighth. Third and eighth, exactly. So that would be uh, 15, 19 points for third and eighth. And then fourth is 12 and fifth is 10. And that's 22. So Williams did outscore... Ferrari, if my math is correct. That should put a smile on Claire's face. Let's all hope so. Clearly, there's a smile there, but frankly, that's her dad. <laughs> I was trying to come up with something better for that, and I, and I, and I couldn't. <laughs> but, it just, but anyway, it, I so, figured I'd just wedge that in there. Uh, let's talk about Kimi Raikkonen a bit. Okay. He outqualified Vettel, and he was having, because of his better qualifying position, less trouble in this in the early laps that were quite exciting to watch. So Raikkonen was just behind the craziness that was uh, the Williams-Mercedes duo. He uh, had Hulkenberg that managed to squeeze ahead of him. And then 
And then uh, Vettel was racing uh, Sergio Perez. And then there were like 30 laps where I'm pretty sure there were four cars on track and everyone else was just stopped for a while until it started raining. But somehow counting. I don't know. I don't know how that worked, but there literally were like 10 minutes the where world there were feed. just four cars on screen ever. The world feed was not interested in anything other right. than Which partly because ones. there was actually, you know, sort of like you say, two cool battles happening among those four cars with right. the intra-teammates more so than even the Mercedes to the to Exactly win. right. But yeah. also because they were so far ahead of everyone else. Like, you know, I, we hardly saw Vettel at all this entire race. You know, we saw so little of Raikkonen as well. But apparently he was lapping around back there. And, uh, and of course, the, the big, you know, the big thing for Kimi in this case was being the first to get onto Inters, uh, which turned out to be too early, but again, you know, well, how, way too early. how do you know in the moment? But, you know, it could have, you know, could have been the perfect time if he were super lucky, but turns out that was, uh, that was not what happened. I have a theory for that. Mm. My theory is just as Vettel was catching and caught Raikkonen, Raikkonen was telling Ferrari that my tires are starting to get worn out and... Then Ferrari responded, well, if your tires are wearing out anyway, it's starting to rain. We see we see weather coming on the radar. We're going to switch you to enters. Right. I mean, a new set of dries at that point does seem, would be like, why would he go on dries? That's the it, dumbest thing in the world. What a bad call, Raikkonen. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. And uh, indeed, just as Raikkonen was coming into the pits, Vettel caught and passed him and so it's hard for me. It could have been Raikkonen saying, hey, it's really wet in turn six or wherever it was. It was because on one side of the track, we could see the rain. On the other side, it was staying quite dry. So um, as Will Buxton bizarrely said, almost bone dry, which is kind of like it was like nearly bone dry. Right. No, what did he say? It's, it's almost entirely bone dry. Almost entirely like, bone dry. It's like then just a little damp. Not bone dry is the point. Anyway. But the Thunderbugs weren't yet getting wet. <laughs> I think right. was the case. That's right. Uh, we're, I will I will drop a chip uh, on the ground in honor of you, Will Buxton. Uh, it, real quick, as a total aside, I'll just say, generally speaking, Will Buxton's brilliant. I absolutely love his coverage. I love his um, walk in the pits. I love his interviews. We're just having a little fun. And not the point. The point is... The point is there's a 90s pop band called Thunderbugs. <laughs> it's, a, it's a British girl group, which is actually kind of adorable as a name for a girl pop group. We are shifting the topic. Uh, we're shifting the theme of our podcast. It is now the Thunderbug Fan Club podcast, I think. And that's what we're going to talk about from here on out. No, seriously... Uh, so it was just unfortunate timing, I think, that Raikkonen was feeling it was time for a tire change anyway, and it turned into a change for Inters because of that, and it just ended up being a few laps too early. And to your point of, well, why would you put new dries on? You're going to have to stop in a couple laps anyway. Well, he effectively had to do that because when it did finally get properly wet, his Inters were worn out quite a bit more than everybody else's, and they weren't getting rid of the water. They were not pushing the water aside like enters do well, in the first place. Did Kimi Raikkonen have a massive and slightly hard to explain spin on his own during this race? He did not. That, well, see, I think if he were on dries and it just starts to get wet, he may have had yet another. See, it's the, it's the long term. It's the long game. I mean, this is a, this is kind of a long game podcast for you. I, I think it is. <laughs> What's the long game for this uh, long game talk? Well... I looking into the Thunderbug situation a little bit. 
<laughs> no, we don't need to look in the Thunderbugs. Um, yeah, that's you know, it's hard to say. I guess again, looking backwards, but maybe you know, interest was the best. It's like it's just kind of an unfortunate time for a pit stop more than anything, more than yeah. a wrong call. Because yeah, if he'd gotten on dries, then who knows? You know, he could have maybe lost more time. And of course, the big risk, especially when it's a wet but drying track, is the first guy to go out on dries. It's like yeah, maybe your lap time will be faster. Maybe you'll end up in a gravel trap or a wall. So it's that's that's the gamble. So it's like okay, yeah, it was not ideal clearly for uh, for Raikkonen, but it may have just been you know the best call at the time and. Uh, uh, you know, still ended up better than uh, otherwise could have gone. So he did finish the race and uh, others did not. So, uh, you know, that is what it is. Raikkonen did finish the race. He was one lap behind and he got, as we said before, eight points. Um, moving down the order, it was fourth and fifth uh, Williams uh, just off the podium. And it was Daniel Kafiat in sixth uh, leading the Red Bull charge and Nico Hulkenberg in uh, showing off the new B-Spec Force India in seventh. What do you think's going on? Daniel Ricciardo ended up not even finishing the race. Well, neither Toro Rosso, both STRs uh, had, you know, retired and Ricciardo as well. Um, and we, we saw Ricardo, you know, pulled in the pits and had like a weird getaway where the car was either was it going into anti-stall or something was wrong with the, either the gearbox, the engine. Um, of course, you know, we, we watched the race just about live. Actually, just got caught up to, to live broadcast at the very end of the race during the interview. Well, it was a post-race, yeah. Right. So, um you know, I haven't seen an article yet about uh, exactly what happened with uh, with Ricardo's car, but it's it's just like yeah, both STRs uh, had had some kind of failures, uh, and then and the other one. So it's you know, Danny Kvyat. It, it it's unfortunate because it shows it's like when they work, it's you know, sixth place is a very solid performance. I mean, especially in, in what's clearly not the top car. Um, so you know, it's it's just all all the more you know sucks the more I guess for Ricardo, uh, let alone the STR guys. Uh, to see that, you know, kind of what could have been. Um, of course, you know, it's still over a minute off the final time because, you know, things got a little crazy at the end there. But just to, um, yeah, I mean, just to be there and, and, and you know, make hay of it. I mean, you kind of wonder for someone like Danny Kafiat. I mean, Ricardo has established himself well enough that if what the Aston Martin deal goes weird or something, you know, there's another year of bad stuff with Red Bull or, you know, like he could have an offer coming his way. But somebody like Kafiat, you wonder, he's sort of like, this is probably still the best thing he's got going. You know, it's not quite as likely that some some amazing new offer will come down um, because he's kind of in that middle zone where he's he's not a rookie anymore. Um, he's sort of, he's not, um, you know, he clearly has a, you know, not clearly, but seems to have a, a bright future ahead. Uh, but he's not, you know, like Verstappen and Sainz, these these really young guys uh, that, that have sort of more of a, you know, more career ahead of them. Whoa, hold on. Um, Kafiat is 21. Right. Not, no, not in terms of age, in terms of his career, in terms of what he's already done. He's already, you know, he spent some time at SDR. He's, he's moved up to Red Bull, uh, but uh, it's, you know. Well, he moved up to Red Bull after just one season. Right. And. Because he's old. And he's, <laughs> he moved up to Red Bull after just one season. This is his first season in Red Bull. I mean, he's not, he's not, he's got one season on signs and Verstappen. One. And he's quite young and he's Russian and he is proving to be. Um, a luckier slash uh, and or more capable Russian than Petrov was. And so I think that there will be uh, country money that wants to keep him in the sport, if at all possible. I think Kafi, it's... I'm not sure Russia has any money anymore. Uh, well, but, they, they hmm. have ruples or well, something. something. I mean, they, they Russia is still uh, oil rich, if nothing else. And they're going to... They're going to they're gonna find some change to keep... Uh, going, All I right. think. And uh, I think that topic of conversation, though, is quite interesting um, because there's talk about Kimi Raikkonen and whether he will be in Formula One or not next year. And if he isn't, 
who will be in that seat instead? Daniel Kafia. Well, Daniel Ricardo, oh. his his name has been mentioned. Valetary Botas, his name has been mentioned. So they're both kind of like officially slash unofficially connected to potential Ferrari seat next year. But I'm a little shocked that Nico Hulkenberg's name isn't. To me... He's too old. He, well, exactly what Ferrari needs. Ferrari needs old people. And what I mean by that in all seriousness is they need people with experience. That's who they like. Nico Hulkenberg has it. Hulkenberg is very town, talented and has proven he jumped into the uh, 919 hybrid and won a race. Um his first shot at 24 hours of Mall. That's huge. Okay, obviously there was luck involved with that as well. But my point is, Hulkenberg is a talent that everyone agrees. His start was in Williams. He had a pole position in his rookie season in a Williams that was not as capable of performer. And everyone, year after year, says, Hulkenberg has massive talent. Um, Hulkenberg and our good buddy Jamie Price are friends. And Jamie thinks highly of Nico. He says, hey, he's a good guy. So why isn't Hulkenberg being talked about for this Ferrari seat? Yeah, and I mean, that's, that, I guess, maybe is a better example of that kind of between, um, you know, it's not, you're not hiring, it's like, you know, Vettel obviously has the crazy record that he does. And, and then, you know, there's some of these guys, a young phenom where you can get somebody, maybe get him on the cheap, and then maybe it turns into something amazing. Um, but that's more of a Red Bull thing. Right, exactly. So, but so Ferrari, it's sort of like, I don't know if it's a matter of, they, you know, they want to invest in someone, I mean, you know, to have... Uh, you know, like Botas um, to sort of, not that he's come from nowhere, but that he hasn't um, already done as much racing and they want to sort of, you know, bring him up in the Ferrari way and think, oh, he's got raw talent. We just need to refine that. Or if it is a case that, um, you know, Hulkenberg would be a good fit. I do think Hulkenberg would be a good fit. Um, you know, that's like you say, he's he's clearly done a lot with a car that has not been top of its class and yet still is doing really well with it, has these moments, like you say. Um, but then to show his just just general pace uh, to be able to hop into a completely different series and do really, really well. I mean, winning a 24-hour race, of course, with his teammates and everything. But like you and say, the that's... the biggest 24-hour race in right, the world. Right, the 24-hour, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, so that, uh, it, it does seem like a really, a really good tie-up. Um, and it's like every year that goes by that that's not happening um, is sort of, you know, you kind of wonder what, what's, is there, is he asking for a crazy amount of money or something? It seems like Ferrari has crazy amounts right. of money. When Adrian um, Sutil was kind of like that, uh, to a lesser extent, Adrian was like, God, they have, that German has more talent than people are giving him credit for. Yeah. And it just, it kind of puttered out, petered out. And, you know, he was tall. Maybe that was it. Um, but uh, none of these people, by the way, as tall as Justin Wilson. Uh, when I was at the Indianapolis 500, Justin Wilson was there, and I walked by him. And I was like, good Lord, that's a tall man. Like, right. not even tall for a race car driver, just tall, period. So I don't know who's taller between Adrian and Justin, but I would imagine Justin. Not the point at all. That was officially my best tangent I've had in a while. Um, point is, I want slash hope Nicole Hulkenberg uh, is talked about and maybe even gets that Ferrari seat. Or Nico Hulkenberg says, screw you guys, I'm going off to Porsche because that was fun. And regardless of what happens, I hope that Jamie and Nico stay friends and maybe Jamie introduces me sometimes because that'd be sweet. Um, another thing to point out, Justin though, Wilson is six foot four, dude. That is tall for... That, that's what I'm saying. That's just straight tall. Any, uh, any yeah, Agent Chutil is of unknown height as of, <laughs> as of this writing. As of this writing. Um, but here's a, here's another interesting interplay. Um if Nico Hulkenberg were to go to Ferrari, theoretically, that would be two Germans in the Italian team, which does kind of feel just 
not bad in any way, but just kind of odd to say, you know, there is, there's that kind of like romantic, um, romantic tie to the romantic team, you know, like Finland. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> what? That's what I'm saying. It's, it, but for a long time, you know, it was Alonzo in the car. Um, it was, I mean, Massa was it was Massa in the kind car. Of, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, Brazilian isn't strictly, but it's, it's a romantic language country. And that's what I'm getting at. You know, romantic language, Italy, Spain, France, and then off to their various right, colonies. So who's their best option? Russia's not really a, uh, you know, passionate kind of uh, vibe sort of a sort of a country. And I mean, to be fair, Finland is... Is not either. I mean, <laughs> right. you know, that's... I mean, I know that we're... They're known for their joie de vivre in Finland. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't I mean, there's a big guy, Roman Grosjean from France, and they figure, okay, let's have this tie up and have a kind of a, I don't know, you know, there's, when you, when you start putting weird parameters on it, then it's a little hard to think, who's, yeah. who's well, the best guy to, uh, to fit the, the well, Ferrari lifestyle? Are there any up and coming Italians they can hire? And Well, I want to reach out to fans and I just, you have, you can choose anyone in the world. Alexander Rossi. Okay. Good. You can choose anyone in the world who should be in that Ferrari seat alongside Sebastian Vettel next year. And if you think it should be Raikkonen, please speak up and say so. Um, and then I want to bring up another question that's tied to this. We talked about the Aston Martin possibly becoming the title sponsor for uh, the Red Bull team and that making way for a Mercedes engine swap into that car. The tie-in of all of all the marks in the world of automotive... Even when you think of uh, Bentley, Aston Martin has to have the single strongest tie to England and English heritage. At least one of the strongest. Maybe Bentley is right there. Um, but you would all of a sudden have... Would you? How much of a drive would it be to have English drivers in that team all of a sudden? Yeah, I don't know. Although it's, but as soon as you mentioned that, I was like I immediately started thinking of Lotus... And I'm like, oh, wait, there is a Lotus team, but it's not, but it's kind of French, but it's it's based in England, but it's kind of old Renault, and now it's not Renault, it's Mercedes now, and it's like, not that they've tarnished the name Lotus, but it's like, it's it's so far removed from Lotus cars that it just does, doesn't hardly mean anything. I think that's the biggest thing, is and it's I wonder, so far removed. Yeah, I mean, with Aston, if, if there's, I mean, not that there's that much technology transfer from, from F1 into road cars these days, I mean, you know, there's hybrid systems in, in both areas, but it's, you know, debatable how much is really connected, Um but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, it would make sense to have, um, I mean, certainly Aston, um, I mean, Jaguar, I guess would be another one there. They, um, really, you know, the English heritage is really part of their thing. I mean, I guess I've, I've heard it said, and I'm not sure I disagree that, uh, if it weren't for the sort of the James Bond tie up and kind of the marketing things that Aston's really wouldn't be as well as highly regarded as they are like modern Aston's, um, where for some of the cars, for the, for the money they get for them. And, you know, when you look at sort of some of the, the performance metrics, I mean, they're not made to be. Um, you know, they're not track cars and whatever, but um, the performance metrics and just some, some of the, you know, the, the, the feel of the cars and whatever. Um, classic Astons, I don't think anyone can argue with the classic, classic Aston Martin being some of the sexiest cars in the world. Uh, but a few of the modern ones are like, they're a little bit weird. They've got like seven different models. They I all look know. pretty much the same. They're, they're all still, on a similar platform. Yeah, they look the same, but that look is, is still quite good for me. It's a good look, but it's like, that's, that's kind of all they've got in some cases. I don't and know. And it is, I mean, honestly, uh, Aston is one of the last companies to do this, but they... They are now being attached to Germans uh, in the AMG engines right. being put in the car, which, let's be honest, the, the handling of an Aston Martin is brilliant. It's just wonderful. The balance front to rear is fantastic. Steering feel and all that kind of stuff. But 
powertrain technology, they were falling behind yeah. competition and going AMG will put them right back to the top right away. So that was, I think, the correct decision to make. But still, it's an enduring name that still has the weakest connection of the major makes that I can think of to German companies. Because Bentley is a brilliant English make, and they are, in fact, they are in still crew. They are still in crew England, uh, building those cars. But that is ultimately a Volkswagen company, right? And you know, the most people that are in the know know all about it. Rolls right? Royce, you know, Rolls Royce, <laughs> Rolls Royce is you know pretty much Rolls Royce by name only, right? You know, they. BMW took a much more much stronger stance on tying the companies together, right? right. So that's you see what I'm well, getting. Aston at. Martin is like just one of the classic Indian brands now. It's just you know it really <laughs> ties that country, and you know just you just feel the the you know the, the you know English Indian heritage in that uh, in that market. You sure do, <laughs> or something. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I would I want to get back to the uh, British Grand Prix. It was. Overall, it was a fantastic race. It was great to watch. It's great to see that high amounts of enthusiasm, but also the deep amounts of enthusiasm that um, the English and the British have for Formula One racing, and rightfully so, because they basically, it is their sport. They more or less came up with it. Most of the teams are there. It is they it picked a the, French name for it, but otherwise, <laughs> it is an English thing. It is, it is the beating heart of the sport. I mean, seven of the ten teams are right there, and on and on. So, hey, the, the company I work for is, is right there in the English Midlands right, because exactly. of you, the offshoots in of, fact, you know, sort of racing technology and right in, in striking distance of Silverstone. I was that. just going to say, just like many of the Formula One teams, you're within, uh, what, several miles yeah. of uh, Silverstone. Within cycling distance, I happen to know. Oh, not hey. that I'm in great shape or anything, and I, you know, but hey, there's some hills over there too. But yeah. So to that point, I want to now get to John Matthew and his email to feedback. What a race, he said. All I could think about was the emotional roller coaster ride Claire Williams must have been on. Her drivers started on the second row, but had a great start and were leading at one point. Then, with a combination of tire changes, tire spelled with a Y, pit stops, and weather, they finished off the podium. I hope she has someone to console her. John Matthew the Fourth. Of course, Ms. Williams, I will very happily console you <laughs> at any time. You oh, just say the word. You're making the offer. I am, I am here for you. Um, and uh, I think his email, John Matthew email, John Matthew and his email reflect. I'm working so hard not to say Matthews because you made fun of me once. No, I think that was my problem. But anyway. John Matthews, apostrophe S. Matthews, uh, his email. <laughs> well, it's his Talking about email. Tyrese. Okay. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> how far off can we go just from this email? His email was great. I just call it the Thunderbug tab, but it just it, it popped back up for a second. <laughs> his email was great, and we agree. Good. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Real-time feedback. Uh, no penalty has been uh, has been handed down over the uh, crash at the, on the opening couple turns of the race involving five drivers um, that put three drivers out. Um, but just they interviewed all the drivers. No driver was wholly or predominantly to blame. So um, uh, Grosjean did blame Ricardo, saying the Red Bull driver break too late for the first corner. But um, I don't know. Grosjean strikes me as kind of... He's in a frustrated place and seems to blame other people a lot for things. Not that they're necessarily his fault, but just that like some things are kind of racing incidents that uh, 
he um, you know seems to seems to throw blame around pretty pretty quickly um, blame thrower he's a blame thrower at the moment i think but uh, but either way so there's no no penalties for that uh, which is good i mean this is something we haven't talked about much but um you know in in the wake of all these penalties and whatnot and especially the mclaren honda ones where it's like oh you changed the whole engine oh well you need you know you got a five point you know five good spots for changing the gearbox and five change spots for changing the turbo and five great spots for changing the whatever you know the intake it's like all these different things um and that's that's been um, backed off from a little bit, and you know, they, they, you know, we didn't get into the whole uh, strategy group and some of the uh, some of the you know oh, recommendations. Well, yeah, that, we'll that whole that strategy for, group thing, we'll keep it in our back pocket. We'll keep that for after fish and chips. I think it will be yeah. uh, that kind of a conversation <laughs> or during. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. But um, but either way, it's, so it's good to see that you know, obviously, you know, racing incidents happen, and and you know, things happen uh, with that many cars so close together, and you know, well, but no, it's good to, uh, racing incidents happen. That's the whole point of racing, right? If it were just super safe and nothing ever happened, it would not be so interesting. I, right? We don't want injury to occur, but to, you know, knock so so uh, dramatically get down on people whenever they bump elbows. Or, you know, yeah, someone's trying really hard and that's what we want to see. So exactly. every once in a while it's going to go slightly wrong. Exactly. So the good news is we're not going to have like, oh, a bunch of people, they're going to qualify, but then the qualifying is going to be all mixed up because 10 different people have, you know, penalties and it's going to get all screwed up. So either way, it seems like, you know... Okay, that, that that happened, and Grosjean is sad about that. But um, that's, I think, good news for the fans, and uh, hopefully, the you know, we'll see because these strategy group things uh, come out, and, and there could be some, um, you know, the immediate changes are things like okay, you know, not quite the asinine penalties, and new engine constructors get an extra engine so that you know Honda won't have so much penalty and whatever. But um, you know, the longer term things, we'll see how how things shake out. I mean, they're talking about having a secondary race on Saturday, which some people say is gimmicky, and some people say would be amazing. What? Um, yeah, that there'd be a qualifying I'm session. I'm definitely in the gimmicky camp. To, yeah, we'll be, there'd be a quality session like there is now to qualify for the qualifying race. And then there'd be a sprint race with no pit stops no. where everyone's driving flat no. out to see no. where they get. And then that's how you line up for the real race. No. Well, anyway, Wrong. That's not being False. implemented yet. That's just being talked about for now. But that's the kind of thing that, that's being bandied about. So we'll see over the coming weeks Dude, how, that how these things group, get. Everything they come up with is more ridiculous than the thing before. No, there's some other stuff that, that seems actually pretty reasonable. I mean, like the engine tokens thing and, and some other stuff about new teams, whatever is. Is, is reasonable, but um, they don't want they don't want to do more gimmicks. But strategy group, look at what the World Endurance Championship is doing. Seriously, take a look at that. that Twenty four hours of Monaco. That their racing is good. Their rule system is enticing in the modern world. Arg, let arg, me add. arg. He says. All right, so uh, this is a ooh, but no, actually, I'm going to do one more thing. I'll throw my idea in the ring. Throw your thunderbug in the ring. I want. Formula One to get rid of downforce. And I don't mean completely, but I'm saying get rid of the wings, get rid of this push. I want mechanical grip and I want aero efficiency slipstream to be a part of um, the fluid dynamics problems that uh, the aerospace guys solve. But I do not want downforce to be the thing. Mechanical grip. How much of a slipstream can you build? Big old tires. I Downforce is... I think a major, major problem. And I think it's largely because wings look cool that they endure. You know how gumpy those cars would look without front and rear wings? I don't think it would be that very bad. much. I think they would be potentially quite beautiful. I, I hopefully we have a fan who is good at the old Photoshop. And why, where are my stepped noses? <laughs> where do they go? Just no, seriously though. I, I, I strategy group. Downforce bad. Well, we'll we'll look into that and maybe have a uh, have a, a deeper read instead of the thunderbugs next time. But you, sir, do you recall your prediction for the British Grand Prix? Who you had on pole position? You know what? I did, but then I never changed it. 
So I don't know what I actually have. Vettel. Yeah. Seabass Vettel, who was not on pole. Um, you yeah. did have Hamilton for the race win, which is which was correct. Right. Uh, but okay, so this was not a super dramatic uh, race no, for predictions. If you'll remember, I said I'm changing it to Hamilton, Hamilton, well, but then I didn't for some reason. I, so that I think is going to be chalked up to a racing incident, my friend. <laughs> no, no, no. It it absolutely is. I'm not trying to change it. I'm just saying we don't want predictions gate all over again. Oh my god, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> you never live that down. I was, and you know, I never actually said Botosh. Let's change that one. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> no, it's fine. Yeah. So anyway, uh, well, I'm just going by what it says here, and it says here that you had Vettel. Uh, but and that is correct. I had Hamilton, Hamilton. Damien, the prediction statistical, heuristical, spreadsheetical, um, <laughs> said that Hamilton would be on pole, which was correct, and uh, just go with it, and that Rosberg would win, which is only one point. So because it was ultimately, I mean, it was an exciting race, and you wouldn't know, you'd be like, oh, you know, if you just look at the results, oh, it was Hamilton, Rosberg to start, and who finished? Oh, Hamilton, Rosberg, and then Vettel. It's like, that doesn't seem exciting, but it was exciting. Uh, I think we can already say this is actually the best race of 2015 and 2016 together. That this one was it. Just because no, of how much you love wrong. when people say that. My eyes are hurting from all the rolling you're making me do. Yeah. No. No. All right. Well, uh, either way, we'll see. Um, oh, you know. shoot. The results for the British Grand Prix has already started. I can't change my prediction. <clears throat> I think that's what happened last time. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll do that later. And then days went by. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll do that later. Right. Yeah. Well. So maybe I might be Vettel on ball for a while. No, we'll, you, well, I'll, I'll, we'll send you a reminder. We'll send you a carrier pigeon or whatever whatever works for your yes. technological system. Yes. And uh, and it will be okay. Uh, Born in the 70s, don't forget. Yes. So I and many, many others tied for first place with zero points, picking Hamilton, Hamilton. And you have to go back to, oh man, 70th spot for somebody who gets one point, um, like Damien. Um, so yeah, 69 of my friends also have uh, have predicted that way with zero points. Um, Damien, the statistical model is tied for 70th with a bunch of other folks, um, with a one point deal. Um, and then, uh, you, sir, with your Vettel Hamilton, that was worth five points. Yeah. Will Carver, 35 points with the button button. Oh man. Will, it will come good. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, so second worst from that was, uh, there was, uh, several, well, I guess a Hamilton Raikkonen prediction, which, you know, seems sort of reasonable, um, was worth seven points, but also Vettel Vettel um, and was, was worth seven points. So actually it was a, a tie at the end there. Ah, uh, yeah, because he did Will, not qualify so well. Except for uh, Will Carver. So um, shout out to Nils Erlemo, who is now on his on his own in number one spot with only five points uh, over the course of the season so far. That is not many points. And then uh, a bunch of people tied for second. Uh, actually, yeah, uh, 24 people or whatever tied for second place. So exciting times up at the top. But... You, sir. Uh, what do you, am, what do you, so it's the Hungaroring ring next. Yes, and I am currently, by the way, in 72nd place with 32 points. Um, uh, my good friends with me, Lisa Ward and Michael Anderson, uh, keeping it real. So, yeah, not my year. Well, Will that. Carver has 295 points. My Will Carver. I have eight. Will Carver is a maverick and a master and a gentleman, and I respect him to the utmost. Well, there you go. I'm proud of Nils Erlimo for being in first place with, uh, you know, with what's going on. So, um, Hungary. Hungary. (laughs) Hold on. The record skipped for a moment. Let me get that back on track. New Needle. Hungary. Yes, there it is. I know that it's the Hungaro ring. It's a little bit of a tighter place. And I don't care. I'm just sticking with the Mercedes freight train that's just going to rush on forward. And I think that... Nico Rosberg had his runs. He had three race wins out of four. Monaco, uh, well, now I'm going to mess this up. Spain, Monaco, and then Canada. Did I get that right? No. Spain, Monaco, and then Austria. Austria. Right. And 
I think that that's his run is going to go quiet for a few races and then maybe he'll pick it back up. Maybe he'll do it somewhere big like Monza, but uh, it's going to be Lewis Hamilton, Paul winning the race, continuing on and stretching his lead so another you, seven points. So you agree with Damien who thinks that it'll be Hamilton, Hamilton. Yes. And I do too. Yes. It's kind of boring, but it's uh, it's what it is. I've got my Hamilton shirt on today. That worked for me. That worked for Hamilton. It did. And, and uh, it even says Mercedes-Benz on it, but it also says Vodafone, Vodafone and uh, Mobile One and probably McLaren on it somewhere. Does it, actually? <laughs> now that I'm looking at it. Hmm, maybe not. But, uh, yeah, and uh, it's uh, got a number two on it, which Do is you no know that that shirt cost you $375? Hey. What? Because it's made of, you know... Oh. McLaren cotton. It's got fancy little sleeve things on it. Yes. Anyway. It's an amazing um, suit. Thank you, as always, for listening and taking part in the show, um, especially all those who are submitting feedback and questions and comments and things like that. To take part in that yourself, please visit funwithcars.com, where you can comment right on the episodes. You can see links to our Facebook page. You can see the predictions. Um, all the show notes for this week's episode, as always, are in the podcast player of your choice, but also available on funwithcars.com. Or you can always send us an email to feedback at funwithcars.com to... Uh, Get your feedback sent to us any longer form than the other methods would allow. So, Which we greatly appreciate. And, you know, commenting on the podcast itself is also fantastic because you can see right there. You can voice your opinion and other people can see it right in real time. Maybe you can start an internet conversation flame more about Thunderbugs. An intercusation. Wait. <laughs> that, was a, that was a terrible mashup of words. That was a good one. No, terrible. All right. I think it's time to go get some fish and chips. We will talk to you all uh, in the future. I am Jim Lau. <laughs> Sam Warner. Oh my goodness. I'm I am not Robin Warner. And I am not Jim Lau. Claire Williams, we're here for you. <laughs>